Hi, this is Cinda Williams, and I am so excited to tell you about the PPC experience. My two musician friends, Johnny Whiteside and Donald Draft Jr., decided that they wanted to put some music behind some of the excerpts from my book. So we sat down, recorded, and had such a good time. Did a little bit of singing, and we recorded a song called Never Thought. So I hope you guys go to Spotify, Apple, wherever Audible books are sold, including Audible, and check it out. That's the PPC Experience. Thank you so much. Cinda Williams here, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 35 of the PPC Podcast. Lately, I've had to really look at life and laugh. When the struggles keep coming, sometimes that's all I can do. And on that note, let's get on with it. When I was a young child, I had a lot of trauma, a lot of us do, at home and beyond. I was a somber child because of it. But then I discovered the Three Stooges. For the first time I can remember, I heard chuckles as they climbed from my gut, past my heart, and out of my mouth. Pretty soon, I was laughing so hard, my stomach hurt. That's because I learned a way to cope with my life. And that coping mechanism remains today. Well, my guest, a stand-up comedian, actor, activist, and radio personality, had a much more challenging journey to get her through, all the while using laughter to survive. I'll let her tell you all about it. Everybody, introducing China Doll. China Doll, welcome to the PPC podcast. Thank you for having me, Queen. Oh, of course. It's awesome to be up in here with you, Cinda. Yeah, we met actually, I don't know, maybe a, uh, almost a year ago on a project, and I was so impressed with you as an actress, and you're very, very funny, um, and I've been wanting you on this platform for a while because I think you're, you're a very impressive person. Um, so let's let's uh, start from the beginning. Where are you from? Uh, what was your childhood like? I always ask this question because I kind of want to know what brought a person to where they are today. And I, I believe it starts in a childhood. Well, yeah, my, <clears throat> excuse me. Actually mine, I would say really did start in my childhood because it was a rough one. 
uh, like many comics, I'm sure that is their tale in life of how they got to be a stand-up comedian and then pursue other avenues as I had. But um, I'm from Philadelphia, born, and I can't just say born and raised because I spent a lot of my youth in a little small town called Hope Mills, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So I have a little bit of Southern and a little bit of city going on um, when it comes to the human relations. And so I can be a Southern gal and treat you with that hospitality, or I can take a trick to the street with you, what you want to do. <laughs> so <laughs> that is my personality uh, all the way around from having both those experiences as a child. Um, you know, I have a little bit of uh, college education up in here. Mm -hmm. um, and I brought that up to say this. I am also dyslexic. Mm, okay. um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, for people who don't know what that is, that's kind of a form of a, let's put it this way, my mind gets joggled up when I look at paper and there's words or uh, numbers, all of that can get scrambled up and I have to decipher it and, and unscramble it. So as a child, uh, in my particular schoolings, they did not know what that was. Mm. And so when I would say, the numbers are moving or the letters are moving. Of course, they thought I was playing and being silly. And back then they were allowed to paddle you in school. Mm. So when I said I had a traumatized childhood, you know, cause if you got in trouble in school back then, mm. when you went home, you got it again. Exactly. And so I was being tortured and traumatized by these people because they thought I was playing. And so eventually I just stopped talking in regards to school. That led them to put me in a special aid class. And back then, I don't, nobody get offended or come for me in no form, shape, or fashion. But back then, when it was special aid, baby, it was special aid. I'm talking bibs and helmets and diapers and all kinds of stuff was going on in that classroom. And I thought, you know what? I am not supposed to be in here. What's really going on? Mm. So I figured out a way to uh, handle my dyslexia by covering everything on the page except for what I needed to focus on. And that's how I got myself out of special aid and into normal classes and they could graduate. And so that's why I proudly tout that I had uh, some college in, uh, in my background because that's a lot from a person that's dyslexic to make it that far. I'm actually only five credits from receiving my associate's degree in human services. Yeah. Right. Awesome, yeah. And so that's about me and, 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 and my childhood. And so using all of that, uh, I had to become funny mm. as a child in order to get some of that negative energy that was being put on me off of me. I was also heavy as a child. My nickname was Fat Mama. Mm. So that was traumatizing. You know, African-Americans, I love y'all, but y'all got a habit of tagging your kids with some names and they be saying, please don't call me that. You be like, oh, go somewhere, Fat Fat. Fat Fat really don't like that. You know what I'm saying? But that's what we do. So um, that was my nickname. And because of all of that, I had to figure out ways to make people laugh. So I, I learned that if you were laughing, you weren't focusing on me and my whatever. And so that's how I became funny. And through through my experiences in life of, of being a retail manager and and uh, the different jobs that I've held from construction to retail to whatever, uh, people were always laughing. Like, you were hysterical. And then one day, uh, my bookkeeper doing retail, we went out for her birthday and I got on stage at her request for open mic. And the next thing you know, 
uh, the club manager came up to me and he was like, how long had you been doing comedy? And I said, sir, that was my first experience. He proceeded to tell me I didn't have to lie and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, anyway, so that's how I started into comedy. I didn't do it immediately after that. Mm -hmm. uh, it took me two years, but I liked the experience that I had. And so I got myself into it um, by going to Bruce Bruce Club at the time in Atlanta called 559. Anybody know about comedy? 559, if you can go through there, baby, you can go through anywhere you need chicken wire up in that joint uh, <laughs> to protect yourself from the audience. If you right. Mm -hmm. I never had that problem, thank God. But uh, I certainly saw a lot of comics uh, get harassed and booed off the stage. So, anyway, that's how I came to be who I am. Mm -hmm. So, I want to go back a little bit. How did you figure out? how to cover the page because i know that that is that is actually what they teach for dyslexic students now that they actually understand what it is but it sounds like you figured that out on your own how did you come to that discovery well um once once they put me in special aid uh i really had a lot of time to just sit and so one day i decided okay i'm gonna really really try because i didn't want to be in that class and so that's what I just said, let me just see if I can cover everything else and do one sentence at a time and do one math project at a time. So for the math, I would cut a hole, tear a hole in my paper. Mm -hmm. And so it would just be that one project that I could see because you can't cover lines in math. It's, you know what I mean? It's math right. would be a hole in the page. And so I would make a hole in a page and then I would just put it over the math problem that I had to address. And then I could slow my mind down to figure out what those numbers really were. And then when it came to reading sentences, I had to slow my mind down and try to focus on each word. And so I had to read the sentence three to four times in order to understand what it said. So even though I really wasn't, <clears throat> I hope this makes sense to people, I really wasn't reading it like you would read it. Mm -hmm. Take me two or three times to read that same sentence you would read because the P with me, to me, could be a Q. Right. Or the D could be a B. Or the M could be a W. And so I would have to figure out when sounding them out what was what, and then I would make sense of the sentence. So needless to say, when, it, when I did get back into regular classrooms, everybody else would be out to recess and I would still be sitting there doing my work. It took me longer, but um, that's how I figured it out. I just started covering the pages and tearing holes in my paper. So, so I could what I needed to. So did, were there any teachers that were like, what are you doing? Never. Wow. Never. They could, listen, most of the schools I went to, the teacher go in and say, do this, do that. And they would prop their newspaper, open a magazine and get to read whatever they were doing. And... <laughs> You better get your paperwork, you know, get it done. Right. And so a few times that there were interactions with the uh, teachers, you know, when they would hear out, they say, well, act like they're teaching the class and ask questions and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, they would come around the room at that point, but none of them cared what you were doing, you know. No, that's yeah, so... it, that, that's why no one detected or believes me. Um, it was bad. It was really, really bad. I tell people today, no, please do not put, uh, they want to bring paddling back into schools. Mm -hmm. That is traumatizing for a child mm -hmm. uh, to have an adult force you out into the hallway, put your hands up on a locker, 
stick your ass up your booty out <laughs> and allow them to paddle you. That is traumatizing. I can assure you, you don't want that to happen. And they would also take your hand in the classroom and hold it. And they would have this big, thick ruler paddle and pop you on your hands real good um, when they thought you were clowning or not paying attention or behaving in their classroom. So don't allow them to bring that back in schools, people. I beg you, as a child who suffered it, don't do it to the children. Wow, that's 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 really sad. I, I remember back in the day, I don't, I remember exactly when I was, I don't, I think I was like in fourth grade or something. That's when they just, that's how old I am. That That's when they stopped that paddling in the class. Cause I remember going to Bible school for some reason and them talking about it, hearing the adults talking about how that was going to be problematic because um, how else would you make a child behave? And, and the thing about it is, if it was, if you knew why a child was doing what they were doing, that is not the answer. It's just not the answer for every every child in every situation. And you just don't know what a kid is going through. You know, as per your example, you they they had no clue that you were doing the very very best that you could. So that yeah, is. I thought yeah. I was playing. All she want to do is play. Oh my god. <laughs> So, no, I don't. I don't want to be hit. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be in the room. I don't want everybody looking at me. I don't want none of this. Please. So I would just, I just stopped. I stopped talking. I stopped communicating. I would just be in the classroom, just there. And then that's when they decided to put me in. Anyway, I told you all that part. But yeah. yeah, it's traumatizing for kids to do that. Now, how I learned what dyslexia was, mm-hmm. this is hilarious. So I married. I'm in Okinawa, Japan. Uh, I decide I'm going to further my schooling um, because that's what you're supposed to do. You need this paper to be successful in life. And so I'm going to go get it. And so I registered. uh, It was through uh, a Texas-affiliated university that was holding uh, college courses on the outlet. Um, And so I registered and went in and turned in my first paper. And when I did, the professor said, so you're dyslexic. Wow. And I said, no, I'm African-American. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> I had no clue. Oh, no clue what he was talking about. Wow. And he said, no, you're dyslexic. I mean this, and he broke it down and explained to me what it was and uh, Senda, I looked at that man, I took my paper, I walked out of his classroom, and I never went back. I went home and I cried like a baby for like two days. Mm. Sadness and then joy, Mm -hmm. because I finally had a word for what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I didn't have to prove anything. I don't want your paper, I don't want anything. I'm brilliant Mm -hmm. in my mind now because of what he's explained to me. What I've been dealing with and dealing with on my own to have gotten where I had gotten myself in life. At that time, I was a retail, before we moved to be overseas, I was a retail manager of a major uh, retail chain. Wow. Um, so when he told me that, that was such a relief in my life. But that was the funny way 
that I learned what dyslexia was by someone calling me dyslexic and me telling them, no, nah, I'm African-American, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I didn't know. I thought dyslexia was an island somewhere. I didn't know. Right. <laughs> And, and, and it's such a it's a such a difficult thing. I was actually uh, an ex of mine was dyslexic, and he was a very well known and is a very well known writer. And mm-hmm. it was so painful and so difficult for him to do what this this gift that he had is this amazing gift of writing. But for him mm. to sit down himself and put those words down, mm. just it gave him headaches. It, it frustrated him. It was it was very toxic situation. So I would I would write for him. He would tell mm-hmm. me what to say and I would put that stuff in there. And he had a partner, a writing partner that was the technical side of it. He just had mm-hmm. all this creative stuff, but it was so hard for him to put those words down. And I think a lot of people have this issue and don't know it. I I, I obviously do not have dyslexia, but I do have moments where I switch words around. I have moments where I switch numbers around. So I have, I have a small a bit of something happening in my brain and maybe I don't know if it's in phases or or if there's levels of it but I I know that that it is a very frustrating thing and then to have nobody try to even try to figure out what's going on it's insane so how so you you became a a, your stand-up now you're doing stand-up amongst other things and um uh how do you deal with audiences you know considering your past the the bullying that you experienced with you know body shaming and all the things that you experienced that way now you're you're you've grown into your own you're beautiful you're you're outspoken you're funny you're you know you physically um what uh america at least considers beautiful um how do you deal with bullying from audiences considering your experiences from the past? Well, fortunately, uh, there's only been one occasion where, um, and I wouldn't call it bullying, I would call it deserving because I had a bad set. You know, mm-hmm. folks like, get, get off the stage, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Oh! <laughs> but um, I don't generally even see the audience. Mm. Mm-hmm. when I hit the stage. Let's put it that way. I learned early on in my career, I don't go in trying to feel the audience. I don't go out trying to be amongst them. When I hit the club, if they don't have a green room, I'm in the back, very back, almost behind the bar if mm-hmm. I can, so that I don't pick up any other energy that's in the room. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone looking at me to have an, a perception, a preperception of who I am because of me accidentally bumping them going through the crowd and hitting their drink or something, just anything. Mm -hmm. And so I generally don't see the crowd. Mm -hmm. And people say, how can that be? I'm like, I'm telling you, I don't see them. Once I hit the stage, um, it's that same world that I was forced to live in as a child, um, which was basically in my mind by myself, okay? (laughs) nobody, nobody was paying attention to what I was talking about from uh, the body, if my, me telling my relatives, oh, no, no, please don't call me fat mama. I don't want to be called fat mama. Stop calling me fat mama. But nobody would stop calling me fat mama. No matter what I said or what I did, still to this day, mm-hmm. I have relatives that will, whatever, fat mama. You know, so um, from that and the school, I just know how to zone you out. 
And so when I hit the stage, I'm focusing on what I'm doing and these experiences I want to share with you. Mm-hmm. And so when I do that, I don't talk about people in the audience. <clears throat> Very seldom do I go to the audience. I have a few jokes that I will go out into the audience and interact with them, but it's still on a everybody level. It's not that one person per se. Right. I will use that person as a demonstration for all of us that are in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really don't deal with bullying on a stage if they're bullying or, you know, I don't know about it because once I zone, I'm zoning. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what's going on. When I'm done, they were like, people standing up and, and I see that because I'm finished. Right. Or they're just clapping or whatever's going on because I'm finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what, what they were doing while I was doing what I was doing because I was so into doing what I was doing, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. I mean, I, I guess when, you know, it depends on a different kind of performance style, you know, because I know some comedians are very connected with the audience and what they're saying directly to them. And then there's more of a performance, more of a, um, almost like an actor, it, it feels yeah, like. Me. Yeah, that's Yeah, you're more of a, an, you can call yourself a stand-up comedian because you're doing it in those club circumstances, but yeah, you're, you're an actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took me a while, Cinda, to understand that because when I first started, I am an actor and I had props and songs and I'm like, this is a Broadville show, y'all. You ain't ready for this. You know what I'm saying? But there was no other place for me to take it except right. to stand up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, at first I wasn't comfortable because there would be nobody else doing what I was doing. Now everybody's singing in the act. Now everybody's dragging something on the stage, you know. Uh, and I mean, this is in the black, in the African-American community, I'll say. You always had those people like Weird Al, uh, what is his name, that, you know. Yankovich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people uh, smashing watermelons and, you know, all of that type of stuff. Andrew Dice Gray with his jacket and his cigarette and they had all those things. But in our community, really, we were just doing the stand-up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Your, your, your verbal conversation was it. But um, I wanted to illustrate things. Uh, I wanted to tell you a story and then show you some of it, what it would look like if I, you know, acted like Dionne Warwick singing my song. I'd put the feathers on and, you know, go. Mm-hmm. I, in my mind, I'm transforming to Dionne Warwick singing this song. Right. So that's how it was for me. So I'm, I guess you're right. I'm, I'm more of an actor, actor comic than mm-hmm. stand up. But stand up was hard for me to say I'm a stand up comic because nobody was doing what I was doing, but it was the only place I could go to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see you on a variety show, along with, of course, comedic roles in, in, in or even the levity in a dramatic uh, movie. So I got some ideas. But girl, thank you so much for coming and sharing this story. I've, I've heard other stories from you in that in the brief time that we had. So you've had a, a very big life. And oh my God. I'm very excited that you came and I hope that we get to work together again. Yes, yes. It was phenomenal watching you spin your craft queen. I tried to pocket as many jewels as I could while you were going down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's on, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a big, my people tend to be people not in the business. You know, I love creatives and stuff like that, but I don't 
really connect with them all the time, especially people I work with, because people are very private and to themselves, but you I did. And so I'm hoping that we can work that out. And, but before then on September 7th, it's a Wednesday, two to three Eastern on www.thegrownfolksradio.com, Facebook and YouTube live. We're going to sit down with Shelly Shell Williams, DJ Kadisco, and hear more from you. And I, it's going to be fun because DJ Kadisco is a fool and, um, and Shelly is quite funny herself. So I really look forward to uh, what happens that day. Thank you so much, uh, China Doll, for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Queen. I appreciate you. Well, I guess I'll give your people uh, my what to's and how to doing that podcast. Yes, you will. You will. Thank you so much. When I started my acting career, it was comedians who surrounded me. Lots of crap happened to me that could have destroyed my journey, if not for the comedians that helped me with their often blistering commentary on life. Very often these folks come from hurtful pasts, but they still have managed to make others smile. They give many, many people relief. My cue on Netflix is almost all stand-up comedians. It's how I get through the day sometimes. Because these geniuses remind me that life hurts for everyone. I'm not alone. If I can find my smile, I can live another day. Well, that's it for another PPC podcast. Thank you to my girl, China Doll, who keeps it real and brightens my day. If you want to hear more from her, tune in Wednesday from 2 to 3 Eastern on September 7th on the PPC Radio Show. That's on www.thegrownfolksradio.com, Facebook, and YouTube Live. Thank you to DJ Kid Disco for production and beats. Always awesome. God bless you all. Until next time. That's a rat, 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 Hi, this is Cinda, and I want to tell you about the PPC Radio Show. Every Wednesday from 2 to 3 Eastern, DJ Kid Disco, Shelly Shell Williams, and I sit down and talk with wonderful guests from all over the world. We talk about how to survive healing your heart and everything in between. So go to www.thegrownfolksradio.com to listen in or you can watch us live on Facebook or YouTube. That's the PPC Radio Show from 2 to 3 Eastern. See you there.